0: Hello and welcome to the Why Podcast from Think at London Business School, in which faculty, and in this case, a PhD student, talk about their research and what it means for you, business and society. I'm your host, Zoe Stumpf, and for this episode, my guest is Sukun Kang. Sukun is a PhD student in Strategy and Entrepreneurship at London Business School, and he's a recent recipient of the school's prestigious Sir James Ball PhD Prize. This goes to deserving MBA candidates who've demonstrated academic excellence, strength of character and leadership potential. This was awarded to Sukhan in recognition of his excellent performance on the programme. He's been described as exhibiting a unique blend of rigour and creativity, as well as because of the potential impact of his research. Sukhan is here today to talk about his research into oncology. There are two strands to this. The first is around the impact of a public scientific effort known as the Cancer Genome Atlas, and how this has impacted innovation around the development of cancer drugs by private pharmaceutical companies. The second piece of research is around the way in which oncology drug providers offer early access to their drugs and the factors influencing this. While all of this research is yet to be published, the potential impact of Sukhan's findings to date are considerable. Sukhan, welcome to the Y Podcast. It's great to get the opportunity to talk to you about your research.
1: Thanks for having me today. And it's an honor and pleasure to be part of this great podcast with you, Joy. Um, and um, I'm happy to speak about my research today. So I first joined LBS thinking that I wanted to do research on entrepreneurship and venture capital. Uh, but through the program, I uh, had an immediate family member uh, diagnosed with deadly cancer, uh, which sort of lured me into finding out what might be the best drugs for her. And I did a lot of research by looking through medical papers and you know, following news on the pharmaceutical companies. And I sort of recognized that they, this is a making, uh, from the oncology company perspective, is a very complex one, yet a very interesting one. Um, and I thought there was a tension uh, between trying to select a drug a drug that the, has the best efficacy and safety profile versus why, what might be needed out there from the patient's perspective. So since then, I've sort of delved into the oncology industry with a focus on strategic decision-making perspective of the companies, and that's what's sort of brought me into the oncology industry.
0: So... Um, Your research falls into two main areas. Um, Can you start by explaining your first piece of research on the Cancer Genome Atlas?
1: Yes, of course. Um, So just to briefly explain, the Cancer Genome Atlas was a grand public initiative led by National Cancer Institute in the United States that was budgeted over $300 million. The main goal was to map out genomes of 33 different cancer types that significantly lacked treatment options for the patients. And this started in 2008 and finished around in 2017. And that says how much effort went into this initiative. And as a result of TCGA, we now better understand how different cancers are genomically similar and different from each other, publishing novel knowledge that were we were not aware of before. And my research looks at how companies Uh, transfer their existing drugs into the new cancers by realizing that some cancers are similar to each other.
0: So was there any aspects of your findings that you hadn't predicted that you you found surprising?
1: Um, Yes and no. Um, No, because I know some of these findings had to mean something to companies, because, you know, if you spend a few hundred million dollars, hopefully something uh, will impact uh, the R&D of the pharmaceutical companies. However, the surprising aspect of it was, rather than sparking new, novel drug development, uh, this initiative mainly uncovered that some of the existing drugs in one cancer could be used in another cancer because of the revealed genomic similarities. That I think is the beauty of sort of public scientific initiatives that are comprehensive and thorough in nature, because if it mapped only certain subset of cancers, Uh, We might not have unveiled those similarities across 33 different cancers. I believe some of the results were surprising to some of the companies, too, because they might not have considered cancer A, which was seemingly different to cancer B, but now they recognize that those two cancers are similar underlying genomics-wise.
0: But so just checking, I've, I've understood that. So you're saying that a, a, a company that may be specialised in, um, in um, lung cancer um, products found that there were similarities between lung cancer and say um, breast cancer and, and kind of shifted into that market, which you wouldn't expect them to do without kind of mapping this, this process. Have I understood that correctly?
1: Absolutely. Um, some big companies, you know, cover variety of cancers, but usually the small biotech companies or maybe mid-sized companies sort of have their identities in some cancers. Uh, so when you have drug and bladder cancer, you would not consider ovarian cancer, for example. Uh, but in fact, uh, TCJ, what co- what TCJ uncovered was that bladder cancers and ovarian cancers have sh- shared mutations between them.
0: I can see how, so I can see how that could really um, transform um, drug development in the in the future. So you know, a really a really kind of impressive finding there. Could you talk me through the research process itself? You know, how did, how did you go about kind of all this amazing thinking?
1: Um, yes. Uh, where should I start? Um, so the motivation, I think, I've explained before. So when I first figured out about TCGA um, and what I wanted to study, I reached out to my network, including you know, friends and family, as well as LBS Network using the discussion board. Um, and surprisingly, LBS Network responded very quick- quickly. And I had several numerous interesting chats uh, over Zoom because that was in the COVID area. Um, and from which some of whom I still keep in touch with actually um, and during this first series of interviews I figured out there's definitely something interesting here and I formulated few hypotheses uh, using these interviews and by reviewing the current literature and then I applied to a couple of grants uh, to the LBS's institutions such as Willard Institute and the Institute of Entrepreneurship and Private Capital and I was able to Get my hands on the amazing data set uh, on those pharmaceutical companies. So, after spending a few months to structure the data so that I can test my hypothesis, I was able to find some of the interesting results that I just explained, and which then I started to write a, write a paper uh, con- and also conducted additional data collection. And now I have a full paper that is ready to be submitted to a journal.
0: So were you aware of the existence of the Cancer Genome Atlas before you started? Was that what prompted the thought in the first place or did, it, did you discover it as part of the research process?
1: Um, actually, um, I discovered about TCGA during my meetings with the physicians in the hospital. Um, so um, I didn't know about TCGA or the cancer genomes at all.
0: So we've talked at a high level about the applicability that this could have in oncology drug development. But, you know, could you talk me through some of the other impacts that you expect to see or that you hope to see in the future?
1: Yeah, one of my sort of dream is that my research has some impact on the actual practitioner side and the policy wise. Um, so my goal, goal is to have impact on both public and private sector. Um, And not just government and the companies, but actually the patients and the physicians in the healthcare sectors as well. So on the public front, I think my findings may provide some evidence that funding these mapping initiatives uh, may be an alternative way of supporting private R&D in reference to some of the more direct way of supporting them, right? Uh, They have some sort of grants, tax credits, which sort of directly supports their R&D, rather what TCG or the mapping initiative do is um, they go after some of the rare cancers that are not interested by many of the private companies, making them realize that these cancers actually can be targeted with what they have right now. Um, So hopefully this is somewhat more efficient way of um, using the tax money um, for the greater goods. Um, On the private front, on the companies, my findings may suggest that you need to have wider vision of seemingly unrelated diseases or cancers as these maps can shed light on which of their existing drugs may be able to show some efficacy in cancers, especially those cancers that lack treatment options. And sometimes companies view the market with a very narrow perspective where they want to focus on. Um, And that's actually a good thing, right? Being a specialist. Uh, However, if they look broadly, they might be able to uh, diversify into different markets. Uh, Maybe actually it's better for their financials. um, And it's less costly to use your existing drugs rather than coming up with a novel drug. And finally, I hope my findings can also have some implications in the clinical setting where companies can initiate clinical trials in those neglected diseases in which they had no interest in helping out those patients that lack treatment options.
0: Th- thank you. That's that's such a a, a compelling um, set of arguments for, you know, investing the kind of time and, and effort that you have in this piece of research. So it, it seems to me that this research really proves the importance of cooperation and information sharing. Do you think that, that that landscape has changed as as a result of COVID-19? And do you think the trends will continue?
1: In early 2020, um, I think I read an article that, that um, something like 10,000 articles were being shared um, as a result of scientists uh, using the public repository uh, where they were uploading their up to date research uh that's not published in the journal but they w- what they had at that time right and that pace was sort of unprecedented um not even close to the previous speed of scientific sharing however th- there's one caveat because th- because of the high speed and the high volume of those working papers being available it was also very noisy, um, and it was hard to figure out what was right what was what was yet to be proven so While the collaboration probably has increased and will stay in that trend, I think the information burden on the consumer side or the uh, consumers of existing research has increased as well, so um we have to be very careful in selecting what we draw on, and you know we cannot uh, um we should carefully consider the previous research rather than, um, you know, going after what's coming out right now.
0: It sounds like the the in in some ways the COVID nineteen um, issue has has changed things for the better. Would Would you say that's a, a fair Absolutely. summary? Absolutely.
1: I mean, I met so many um, other scientists and social scientists during COVID. Um, it it's it's also due to the sharing, but also being available to talk to uh, at that time. Uh, They were mostly at home. Um, And my other paper, the second paper that I mentioned soon, um, actually, I collaborated with the faculties at Yale um, who was really busy during probably pre-COVID, but then they had a little bit of slack. uh, And then I was able to talk to them and we started a research project during that area. Um, So that was sort of amazing process as well.
0: So I think that gives us a really nice lead-in to talk about the second piece of research that you've been been carrying out. Um, so what, are, what would you say are the main commonalities between the two pieces of research?
1: Yes, um, my second stream of research looks at company decision-making on early access to novel drugs. While it is not the result of some public initiative, uh, the outcomes of interest in these two streams of research is similar in a sense that both projects look at how X something affects the innovation outcomes or access to those drugs. So in the first projects, um, th- that public scientific initiative was the X and then that affected uh, companies moving into different cancers. In the second projects, what I look at is uh, whether comp- what affects companies to provide those early access to those novel drugs. So maybe t- just to go into the project a little bit more, In oncology and other therapeutic areas, especially in um, diseases that are considered deadly, uh, there's a program called Expanded Access, uh, which is a pathway for patients to get access to novel drugs outside of the clinical trials. Some of you may know, uh, but some of you may may not know, but enrolling in a clinical trial is a tricky process, um, as there are several enrollment criteria which sometimes it's really hard to meet once you have received the treatment after you were diagnosed. So for these patients, expanded access offers additional options in addition to those clinical trials. However, the gatekeeping interesting thing is that the gatekeeping power is at the company level. So what we did here is we collected all the early access, expanded access decisions from the companies at the drug level. And we started, we try to sort of throw what factors could influence their decision-making on providing to early access?
0: I guess the, the tension here is one of um, companies wanting to, um, you know, test their drugs with a view to, to doing good with them, but they also want to protect their reputation. They want to ensure that they can they can make money. Is, is that what, w- w- does that tally with your findings here?
1: That's definitely uh, one perspective. Um, when, Pharma companies do provide expanded access. People think it's a good act; uh, it's a sort of the uh, philanthropic act of, you know, giving away the drug, uh, and it's also free for the patients most of the time. So, um, however, uh, because they have ongoing clinical trials, and when you, when patients come for expanded access, it's usually late stage, uh, meaning that they have ran out of options outside of the expanded access, right? Um, that means the safety event is very likely uh, in the case of expanded access. So firms can be wary of having a negative event before getting an FDA or EMA approval, uh, meaning that they could be they could view this as risky as well.
0: What were the key findings of, of this piece of research?
1: So this is very much work in progress, uh, but what we currently see is that companies that are front-runner in their drug development technology is less likely to provide early access. As we predict that, we, we propose that they might view this process as a risky process because they're the front-runner. They don't want to risk of jeopardizing the regu- regulatory pathway. And second, we also find that if firms get a certifications from a government agency, such as EMA or FDA, they are more likely to provide early access. We think that's because they are more confident about the way the regulatory pathway will proceed afterward. Even in the face of negative event, uh, they have better connection with a government agency, meaning that they might be able to handle their risk. Finally, we also find that the startups or the younger companies are less likely to pro- provide early access due to the resource constraint. Um, They are just not able to afford another human capital and the financial capital toward expanded access, which is not the main core activities at the company.
0: So what difference do you hope that your research will make?
1: Some people might say pharma companies are always evil and very profit driven. And maybe some of that aspect is true. um, But I think in order to say that, we really need to try to understand why they make such decisions. So with my research, we want to understand how they make decisions on this early access. It's one way to see whether they are really economically driven or even financially constrained. They want to do it. They just cannot do it. Um, So we are really trying to figure out what's going into their decision formula so that we can better shed light on, um, maybe we can inform policymakers in future policies, they can maybe address such unmet needs from the company's perspective.
0: So do you think the implications of your research are different for different types of company?
1: Yes, definitely. Um, uh, As I mentioned earlier, I think smaller firms are in an interesting position as, They don't have enough resources to carry out all the clinical trials themselves. But at the same time, they need to prove and show that what they have has a potential to be FDA-approved or EMA-approved, right? And some of my findings show that smaller firms are indeed constrained, and such constraint affects their decisions. So there's something government might be able to do, especially something like early access where immediate need for the patients is also present, So if they can provide, actually USFDA has started a couple of those projects and it has not been very successful so far, uh, but I think we are on the way to figuring out uh, what might be the best support for those smaller um, resource constrained companies.
0: Thank you. So I was going to ask you, Sukhan, about the biggest factors that have helped you with your work, but you referred to the grants that you've received from earlier on in the, the conversation. Um, do you, are there still other things that you, you could, you'd like to bring in?
1: I think the most important thing probably is the network that I have um, at LBS. Uh, we have an amazing faculties in our department. My advisor, Gary Dusinski and others who they were tremendously helpful, and also other LBS faculties, right? Kamalini from Operations Department has helped me with some of the research that I have. And the research grants, as you mentioned, uh, like Wheeler and the Entrepreneurship Institute, and not to forget the Sir James Ball Prize, um, they were all very helpful and instrumental. Furthermore I think reaching out to people outside of my network was also helpful. I'm stu- I'm a student and I'm going to become a professor next year but then I think I still view myself as a student. I have to keep learning uh, about the new industries and how they make decisions as managers.
0: Congratulations on your on your new role as as professor. That's that's amazing that's awesome. news and richly deserved. Um so where do you go where do you plan to go next, given that I guess you're going to be very busy in a, in a, a, a new job? Where, where is it you're going to be
1: working? Um, so I'll be joining UC Santa Barbara this summer.
0: That's, that's fantastic news. But given that you have those challenges ahead of, of being a, being a, a professor, um, do you still have ambitions for these specific pieces of research? Do you, are, are there still things that you'd like to do with them?
1: Um, both, both of my papers that I mentioned today are being prepared for a journal submission, uh, which I would like to get done before I graduate from LDS. Um And as a, as a professor, I think, you know, I have additional burdens such as teaching and uh, providing services and um, et cetera. But I think I want to be even more ambitious. Um, and that's sort of what I'm struggling with right now, coming up with a... Grand research question for me, um, and hopefully I have something. But at the moment, I'm really focused on finishing out my current projects uh, that I described today.
0: So, do you, do you have a, a, a date when you expect when when we can all expect to see these published and and you know read the full pieces of research in their full glory?
1: That's actually very hard to tell. Some of the publications take up to three to five years, um, so. Hopefully, my papers will come out before my results are still interesting. Um, hopefully, sooner the better.
0: Well, that's fantastic. And I, I, um, I'm really looking forward to um, seeing the full versions published and, and seeing the, you know, the, the on-the-ground impact that, that your research will have, which I'm sure will be, will be really, really significant in the future. Thanks Thanks again, Sukun, for making time to, to talk to us today and to be part of the Why podcast. It's been a really, really fascinating conversation. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Joey. Thanks for having me. And I hope to see you again and talk to you soon.
0: The Why podcast is brought to you by the editorial team at Think at London Business School. Follow us here for more episodes or find us on iTunes or Spotify. For more faculty research insights, go to london.edu forward slash think. You can also sign up there for our free regular email newsletter to get updates on our latest publications direct to your inbox. Finally, don't forget to leave us a review or rating, which helps new listeners to find us. Thank you for listening.